0: I'll be looking at a few verses this morning, starting in verse 25, and uh, this is God's word to you because He is your rest. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was... Your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except, or no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we uh, all come here this Lord's Day. Uh, We come here every Lord's Day needing to hear from you. Needing you, uh, by your Spirit, to address each one of our lives, our own hearts, by uh, your word, by the counsel, by the truth, by the comfort of your word. And so I pray that you would uh, come and attend to us now, uh, meet with us. And uh, Lord, you know uh, each of the lives present in this room and what uh, every, every, uh, everyone here is going through. And I pray that you would take these words and uh, speak truth, wisdom, comfort to each one of them, and uh, we thank you that you do s- reveal yourself to us in your word and most of all in our Lord Jesus, uh, who is uh, the image of the invisible God, and uh, so we look to him in faith this morning and ask for your spirit in his name, amen. Uh, so, uh, this passage that I uh, just read to you is, uh, is one of the earliest uh, Christian writings uh, that begins to explicitly describe uh, one of the the most, really, the most fundamental of all Christian beliefs, and the most the basic belief that Christians have is the doctrine or the belief in the Trinity. And by the Trinity, what we mean is that Christians believe that there is one God who made everything, and yet this one God exists in three persons: the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, which is uh, to say that, you know, when Christians say that uh, we believe that God is love, in order to have love, you have to have more than one person. And so we believe that God himself is more than one person. God is a loving community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that actually what eternal life is, what salvation is, you know, when you come into life with God, what that means is that you come into this community of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like a, it's like a family that you enter into, this beautiful, lo- loving, energetic family, and, you, and they um, draw you into it and make you a part of it. And, uh, but, as uh, many of you know, uh, many people have a problem with the idea that God is, is both one and three. You know, People say, how, how does that make sense that there's, God is both a one and three? How does that make logical sense to us? And actually... Just a couple of weeks ago, I, I came home from work, and uh, my eight-year-old son informed me that uh, he had given his first sermon to one of the neighbor boys uh, two doors down, and he was very eager to tell me about it. He covered quite a lot, uh, from <laughs> baptism all, to Elijah and the uh, chariots of fire, and, uh, and so covered a lot. And of course, at the end of the sermon, there were lots of questions that the neighbor boy had needed answered and one of them was okay so let me get this straight so are you saying is jesus god and will kind of rolls his eyes and he says oh that's easy and they're you know they're sitting in his uh, bedroom and with legos all over the f- floor and he picks up two legos and he says this is god this is jesus puts them together they're one next question <laughs> all right well that was no problem and uh So, uh, you know, it it might be that, uh, you know, the philosophical difficulties of Trinitarianism uh, is not a problem for Will. Maybe it's because of verse 25. Look at verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So maybe that's why this is so easy for Will, but for the rest of us, the doctrine of the Trinity, and especially in this passage, this passage shows us Jesus' relationship to his Father. Uh, This is a mystery that is at the very heart of everything that we believe about the world, about ourselves, and about God himself. The mystery of the Trinity is at the heart of everything that we believe about the world, and about ourselves, and about God himself. And unfortunately, you know, many Christians kind of see the Trinity as kind of a throwaway doctrine. They say, you know, I'm not sure that it's in the Bible, and I wish if I, if I had an hour I'd show you everywhere in the Bible that you'd see. It's pretty much on every page of the New Testament that uh, Jesus is God and that he's He's one with the Father and that God is both one and three. But um, it is it is a grave mistake for Christians to say that this is just a take-it-or-leave-it kind of doctrine. Um, and that's one of the reasons, actually, through the history of the church, the church has insisted, this is actually, you know, the church, you know, there's all these denominations, and you look at all these different churches, and you say, is Christianity have anything in common? I mean, they're so divided. And if you want to find one thing, what is one thing that makes us Christians, that unifies us with all Christians throughout history, it is really this doctrine. It is the Trinity. We believe that God is love. He is a community. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, um, in this passage, Jesus is, uh, gives us a, a, a few pictures of what it means for us to be brought into the life of this triune God for us to be brought into the community of that God is and uh, what Jesus shows in this passage three things that he is the key to the riddle about God he's the key to a relationship with God and he's the key to finding rest in God okay riddle relationship rest Jesus is the key to all three of those and um These three things, I think, actually really powerfully describe what life as a Christian in the the Trinity is like. So, we're going to look at these three things together. The first is this, that Jesus is the key to the riddle about God. The riddle. Now, what do I mean that Jesus is the key to the riddle? Now, look uh, look with me at verse 25 again. That time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So these two words of hiding and revealing. And then uh, he says again in, in, in the second half of verse 27 also, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus reveals who, who, the, who the Father is. Now, this tells us a couple things. Jesus tells us a couple things from this verse. First of all, An interesting truth, that God hides himself. Jesus says that God, it is part of God's habit, it's part of his nature to hide himself. And actually, uh, Proverbs 25 says just that. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. So actually, Proverbs said it is part of God's glory that, that he hides aspects of who he is and he just doesn't show himself, which I take in some sense to mean that God is a kind of riddle. God is a mystery that who needs to be searched out and found out who he is, which I think um, you know, can be frustrating to a lot of people, that God is hidden, that God is invisible. Because you know, why can't God just give me a straight answer? Why can't he just speak to me clearly? I, you know, on the other hand, I take this as an endearing part of God's, quality, or of God's character. That he wants, he, you know, that he's a riddle. He needs to be found out. He's mysterious. He wants me to dig and to search and to ask questions and to be puzzled. And as I go along asking questions and being puzzled, I find these wondrous and mysterious answers as I go along. And um, it's not that he's playing a game with us. It's that he's drawing out our heart. And in the process, he's revealing who we are and revealing who he is. And he's transforming us in the process. And the process is an important part to to who God is. Um, And one of the things, though, that this tells us is that God is looking for people who will honestly search for him. But if we are arrogant towards God, if we make demands of God, you better... Uh, you better prove yourself to me. You better meet my standard. He hides himself from the arrogant. So God gives himself to the humble and he hides himself to the, from the arrogant. And uh, you know in many ways, the Bible itself I think is kind of a riddle. I mean, and, and there's something that, I, that is endearing to me about that as well, that you can spend a lifetime studying it and you find new mysteries everywhere. There were, you know, verses that you've read a million times that are all of a sudden uncovered and there was this new truth hiding in there that you never saw. And what that means is we should expect that much of God is hidden from us. We're going to spend all of eternity discovering new things about who God is. And so there's all kinds of mysteries of who he is that are going to continually be revealed to us. And um, God only lets him uh, people know him who have a h- heart hungry to search him out. He wants us to be hungry and asking questions and desiring him. And now, one of the things that that might lead you to think, oh, God's hidden. He wants us to search him out. That makes it sound like it is up to us to find out who God is. But actually, that's not what Jesus says either. He says God, God, on the one hand, can hide himself, but the second thing is that God reveals himself in Jesus. That Jesus is the key to the riddle. We actually don't go find out, finding out God like we're scientists. He actually comes to us and reveals himself to us. And uh, he breaks through the riddle in Christ. Christ is the key. And and the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the very word of God. He is God communicating to us in Christ. And that's what Jesus says here that that the Son reveals the Father to whom he chooses. And, um, you know, that's an important thing because, you know, that's how any relationship is, that's how people are. You only get to know people when they choose to reveal themselves to you. You know, there's all kinds of people you meet, and we kind of describe people that way, that they're kind of on guard or they're protective. Uh, and, and, you know, you might describe yourself that way. You know, I, um, at first I kind of hold back, but when I let you in, when I trust you, I really let you in and I open my heart to you. And that's what ha- The only way that we can get to know people is if they let us in, Right? It's through their words, through their communication. When they tell me, this is what's what's in my life. This is what's in my heart. This is what I believe. This is what I think. And until they do that, people are a mystery to us. People are hidden from us. And God is the same way. The only way we can know, and, and let me add one thing to that. In any relationship, you are not in control of the other person revealing themselves to you. They make the decision when it's time to let you in. And it's the same way with God. We are not in control of the process. We come to know him when he reveals himself to us, when he opens himself to us. And he opens him... Jesus is how God is letting us into his heart. If you want to know God's heart, you look at Christ. And um, Hebrews chapter 1 gives kind of a famous uh, couple verses on this truth about who Christ is. It's very powerful. This is the opening lines of the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now listen to what he says about Jesus here. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And by the way, he upholds the universe by the power of his word, but... uh, what he's saying is that Jesus, if you want to see what Jesus is, Jesus is a picture of what God is like. And if we want to know what God's heart is like, we look at Christ. And so this is an important thing when we come to the question. You know, many people also ask the question, why is Jesus? Why do Christians say that Jesus is the only way to God? That if you want to, if you want to know God, you have to go through Christ. Why do you say he's the only key to the riddle? Can't I go directly to God? Can I have a spiritual relationship where I just know God directly, where I don't have to go through Christ? Well, uh, Jesus is the Word. And um, let me give you uh, an illustration to try to uh, communicate why it makes sense that Jesus would be the only way. Um, You know, imagine you're over at my house. We're sitting there, you know, chatting, uh, uh, having a cup of tea, and, um, you know, my wife, comes in and I've, you know, kicked off my shoes in the middle of the living room, you know, and left them there. And she comes in and he says, you know, darling, could, I, I'd really appreciate if you put your shoes away uh, when you take them off instead of leaving them in the middle of the living room floor. It, not that this has ever happened that she would need to tell me to do that. But, uh, you know, I, I'd appreciate it. And she walks away and I say to you, you know, she actually doesn't really care if I leave my shoes in the living room. And you say, what are you talking about? I just heard her tell you she doesn't want you to put your shoes in the, uh, in the middle of the living room. I say, well, you don't understand. See, I don't have to go through her words to get to know her. I have direct access to her heart. And I can actually bypass the words. And I have a direct relationship to her. And I know that deep down in her heart, she actually doesn't care if my shoes are there. What are you going to say? You <laughs> say, you don't have a direct access. The words are the direct access. <laughs> And if you're not listening to the words, you're not listening to her. And actually, if you're bypassing the words, if you're bypassing her communication and saying all these things that she believes that she doesn't, you're just projecting onto her who you want her to be, who you think she should be. And you are making up a wife that isn't your real wife. (laughs) And it's the exact same with God. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is God addressing us, speaking to us. And if we say, I don't need to go through Jesus, we are making up our own God. We are projecting onto God who we want Him to be, but who He isn't revealing Himself to be. We need to take Him at His Word. And Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the, he is the answer to the riddle. Who is God? What is He like? If you want to know what God is like, you look at Christ. Okay? So that's the first thing, uh, is that Jesus... Is communicates to, who, to us who God is. But when Jesus reveals God to us, uh, the answer to the riddle about this hidden God is not just a bunch of information. Jesus doesn't just give us information about God, but he does a second thing, that Jesus is also the key to a relationship with God. He brings us into the relationship with the Trinity. And uh, one, in this passage, we have one of the most profound statements about Jesus, uh, about his... Exclusive nature and exclusive unique relationship to the father look at what look at what it says verse twenty seven all things have been handed over to me by my father. Let me just pause there a little another by the way uh, Jesus says, you know for many people they say you know i I'm, I think jesus is fine. Uh, You know, I think he was a wise man, very impactful in history. I think he cared for the poor. I just, you know, I just think he's a moral teacher. I don't think he's necessarily God or I have to worship him or give my life to him. But, you know, throughout Matthew, I'm going to point this out as we go along, Jesus makes statements like this. He says, I own the universe. Here's a guy who says, I own the universe. God has given me the universe. Moral teachers... People who are loving and caring and wise have a humility about them. They are not egocentric. They do not say, I'm the center of the world. And yet Jesus does say that all the time. He says, I own the universe. I own all your bodies. I own your lives. I, I, I deserve all of your obedience. And what we have to say about this guy, we can't say he's a moral teacher. We either have to say, this guy is off his rocker. He thinks he owns the universe or we have to take him seriously of what he's saying, who he says he is. And he's saying, this is my world. Um, and, and so all people must come to me and acknowledge me as the truth. Okay? So it's, it's, we can't just pass that over. So verse 27, but then it goes on. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What's amazing here is uh, Jesus is describing his relationship with his Father, the relationship that happens within God. So when we say at the beginning that the Trinity is a community, that God is a family, it is a, God is a relationship that we are brought into Um, The thing that Jesus celebrates about that relationship is that his father knows him. And that he knows his father. He's describing the relationships of the Trinity as a a transparent relationship. Where they know each other. They know each other deeply. And, um, you know, it's important to note that in the Bible, to know someone... Is much deeper than simply to know information about them. You know, uh, so for example, in Genesis four, it says that Adam knew Eve. That did not mean he knew who she was; that she was a person that existed. It doesn't mean that he. it, It means they went into the tent together, and he intimately knew her. So to know someone is to love them. To, to know them, to be intimate with them. And so actually in Galatians 4, when it describes our salvation and our new life that we have in Christ, it says, now you have come to know God or rather be known by God. I mean, it's, does that mean that God didn't know information about me until I became a Christian? No, he's saying that God has now loved you. You have come into a loving relationship with God and that's why actually in the Sermon on the Mount, one other place that uses this word love is when Jesus says that the final judgment if, if, uh, if, if we're not in a relationship with God, this is how he describes it. Jesus says to us, depart from me, I never knew you. To know someone in the Bible is to be in a loving relationship with them, a transparent, loving relationship. And I, you know, what Jesus is describing he has here with the Father is something that I think all of us deeply long for long to have in our lives. Deep, loving, transparent relationships. We want to be beheld. We want to be seen and known. And yet when we're seen and known, then to also be embraced and accepted and to have someone delight in us, to see us all the way down to who we really are and then to embrace us and love us. That's what Jesus says he has with the Father. That's the life of the Trinity. That's what the life of God is that we're being brought into. It is a otherness, a self-giving otherness. Where the, the people, persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are devoted to one another, delighting in each other, serving one another, sa- uh, uh, glorifying one another, praising one another. And um, becoming a Christian is about coming into this life with God. And you know, I put a quote for you, for you from C.S. Lewis on, on page three of your bulletin if you want to turn there really quickly. Uh, Lewis has a great chapter in Mere Christianity on the Trinity. And he describes what it's like to be in this life with God. And and I I, I love this paragraph. This is what he says. The thing that matters is being actually drawn into that three-personal life. An ordinary, simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He is trying to get in touch with God. But if he is a Christian... He knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God, God, so to speak, inside him. That's the Holy Spirit inside him. But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God. That Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening. God is the thing which he to which he is praying, the goal he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the road or bridge along which he is being pulled to that goal so that the whole threefold life of the three-personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying his prayers. The man is being caught up into the higher kind of life he is being pulled into God by God while still remaining himself. He's being brought into this interpersonal life. And it is this uh, beautiful picture of a community that God uh, brings us into. Is this relationship. And um, this is what Jesus says his whole mission is about. Look at the end of verse 27 again. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus says His whole mission is about gathering people and bringing them into this triune life. And He says that's the whole mission of our church, is to bring people into this Trinitarian life. And um, let me just say that uh, this kind of relationship, transparent, other-centeredness, love, is what God was doing from before the foundations of the world. Before the world was made, the deep reality behind the universe, what was there before there was a universe, there was this community of love. Which is actually a really important uh, point um, because this is unique about the Christian God. And uh, I'm going to read you one more little quote here. Bear with me. Uh, This is a guy named uh, Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves just wrote a book in the last couple of years called uh, Delighting in the Trinity. And he talks about what happens if you believe that God is not triune, that there's not three persons, but God is a monad. He's just this one-person God, loner God, before he made the world, and he's all by himself, kind of figuring out what to do um, before he made the universe. And this is what what Michael Reeves says. Single-person gods, having spent eternity alone, are inevitably self-centered beings. If such gods do create, they always seem to do so out of an essential neediness or desire to use what they create, merely for their own self-gratification. So what he says is, you know, and he talks about all these, there are all these ancient uh, creation myths about gods who want to make humanity to be their slaves, who are going to wait on them. And and so basically, the reason they create is to be waited on and to be served uh, for themselves. But he says this is different with the Christian God, the triune God. Everything changes when it comes to the Father, Son, and Spirit. Here is a God who is not essentially lonely, but who has been loving for all eternity as the Father has loved the Son and the Spirit. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this God at all. It is at the root of who He is. It is not strange for God to love people. And that's why when we see Jesus, He gets people. He gets how to connect people and to look into their hearts and to let people into His hearts. And He's got these disciples. He's drawing near to Him. And that's also why as Christians, such a big part of our spiritual life is about community. right? That's why the most essential thing we do as Christians is actually we don't go up on a mountain by ourselves and kind of isolate ourselves from a bunch of people. You know, you, you might wonder that sometimes. You know, when it's going to be August in Bellingham and you're going to say, why am I going Sunday morning to this old building and listen to this guy talk for a little while? I could, you know, I could go up to Skyline Divide and be with God among the mountains, and which is a great thing to do. Uh, that is a beautiful thing. God's glory is displayed in Mount Baker. But why do we come here? It's because there's no people up there. There's no relationship up there. There's no family. There's no community. And the God we are worshiping is a God who is a community. And so that's why we start churches. We sing together. We eat together in home groups. All of these things is community is such a central part of our spiritual life because community is such a central part of who God is, of who our God is. So Jesus... It answers the riddle on the one hand about who God is. He also answers this riddle, uh, says to uh, brings us into this relationship with the Triune God. That's what the Christian life is about. Okay. But the third, the thing, uh, the third thing is this, because for some of us, the idea that God Himself is a family that you are entering into, or also that God is a father. You know that we have a new father that we go and we trust and we depend on, is not necessarily an inspiring thought for you. So if you've um, if you've had you know maybe an absent or critical or violent father, to have another father is not something that you're maybe going to be eager to have in the Trinity. Um, And or if you had a a family that was um, volatile, um, unstable. Coming being alone, being isolated feels safer. But if God is a family, that is a risk to come into that life. And so this is the third important thing that we learned from this passage about life in the Trinity is not just that it answers the riddle of who is God and brings us into this relationship, but also that Jesus is the key to finding rest in God, to finding rest. And because um, growing up, you know, in a tumultuous family environment, the experience of that is a sense that there is no rest. There is a constant feeling of anxiety, of when things are going to fall apart. And um, home, family life, is supposed to be the place where um, you feel a sense of freedom. Uh, like when you're out in the world, when you're, uh, you're at school, you're at work, you're out with other people in the world, maybe even at church, you feel this constant burden of proving yourself to people. And yet, home is supposed to be the one place of freedom where you're, you're loved, you're accepted for who you are. And so it's supposed to be the place of rest, of wholeness, of satisfaction. And um, let me just say this, that the need to constantly prove yourself is one of the most tiring and wearisome experiences of the human life. Let me say that again. The need to constantly prove yourself is one of the most tiring and wearisome experiences of the human life. And I'll tell you, in Jesus' day, uh, the religious community had made this this burden of const- uh, constantly on constantly having to prove constantly have to think about certain rules that I needed to care for was, was the, wh- how you would describe the whole environment the whole cu- culture that he lived in, and what they had done is they'd t- taken the kind of simple healthy life giving morals and laws that God had laid down in the scriptures and turned them into hundreds of little rules that uh, touched on every area of life. And actually, next week, we're going to be looking at the Sabbath and we're going to see an example of this. That The Sabbath became this whole burdensome day to keep. It wasn't a day of rest. It was a day of burden. And um, for many people, this is uh, how they picture life with God. It's like living in a police state. I'm constantly on, on watch. I'm constantly about to mess up. I'm constantly needing to prove myself. And it creates this sense of burden that is wearisome. We think that he, is, um, he wants us uh, to be proving ourselves, uh, that he wants to say again and again how we are not enough. He wants to demand more and more from us. This is how we view what God is like. And that's why for so many of us, I know that for many of you, if you've been a Christian for very long, this is one of your favorite verses is in verse 28, where Jesus, the representative of the triune God, who comes and says, this is what life in the Trinity is like, says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are a few words in all the scriptures that give us more hope because everything in us, it seems like everything in in us tells us that God is not going to be like this. That if I become a Christian, I give my life to God, I'm in a relationship with this Trinity, it is going to be tiresome, wearisome, burdening, proving of myself all the time. And Jesus says that's not what it's like in life with my Father and with the Holy Spirit. Um, We feel a weariness in our souls so often. And uh, life in the Trinity is about experiencing rest. And let me just tell you what rest is in the Bible. Uh, The first time we hear about rest is in the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. God makes the world and it it gives this beautiful description of God over six days creating, you know, all the seas and the the clouds and the plants and all the animals and the fish and the birds and ultimately making humans. And at the end of it, God looks at this beautiful world and he says, it was very good. There's this sense of satisfaction, this sense of delight, of joy, and it's in that statement that he enters into rest. That's what rest is. You know, rest might include taking a nap but it's much more than that. It is, it is this sense of delighting in the vitality of God's world and life with Him. It's what the, the wholeness that we all long for in this world. And it's the wholeness that the Bible promises us in Christ is coming when Christ comes again, that we will enter into an eternal Sabbath, an eternal rest, where we'll feel whole, we'll feel free from that weariness, um, that murmur that is inside all of us. Rest is the opposite of constantly trying to prove yourselves to God. Rest is the experience of satisfaction, of completion, of God saying, uh, "You, uh, looking at all that he's made and looking at you and saying, it is very good. It is having God say to you, you, you are very good. I'll tell you the reason why Jesus is the way that we can enter into rest is because Jesus is our righteousness. He's the one who's made us very good before God. He has taken all our sin and borne it on the cross so that God can look at us and say, You are good. And so and He's lived the life that we should have lived so that and He's clothed us with His righteousness so that God can look at us and say, You are good. And that's a question for many of us. Many of you I, I sense, you know, are weary. Do you know that God looks at you and says, you are good? You are good. You are good. You are very good. You delight in Him. And that pronouncement, that that feeling of rest and wholeness that we get, that when we hear that from God, that is just a taste of what life in this Trinity is. Is like. That's what Jesus had. That's what Jesus shares with us. That is the character of the Father that we're brought near to. That is the life in that family. It is not a life of anxiety. It is a life of peace and rest. And so Jesus this morning bids all of us come to him into this community and find that rest. Let's pray together. Our Lord, We thank you that you've shown us in your word that you are indeed good. And that much of the weariness and burdens that the world lays on us, in you we find acceptance, forgiveness, peace, delight, freedom. All those things we long for. I pray that, Lord, uh, you would give us, each one here, a taste of, of that freedom, even in our life this week, even on this Lord's Day today, that we would feel that rest and that freedom, that we would look to Jesus and find that these words are indeed true, but also that you would give us patience and endurance as we look forward to the day when we will have an eternal rest. We will feel whole and feel satisfied. We long for that day. Hold on to us until it comes. We ask in Christ's name.